This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 180. I guess my camera's here, huh? I can look at my camera. <laughs> and welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, and today I am joined by you know who? Jacob Paulson. Yes, I'm here. And I'm concerned about this format today since we're live broadcasting with video. I can't just mute myself and eat or (laughs) do other things like everyone's going to see me. So I have to like be on my best behavior and stuff. (laughs) Well, the same is true here because uh, I think you definitely multitask way more than I do when we record podcasts, but I am usually like fidgeting with something. I I may, I may just, you may just have to bear with me. I may just be a fidgeter. Who knows? (laughs) So I'm, I'm playing with a cert pistol or an airsoft gun or a knife or whatever. But anyway, hey, folks, welcome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We've never, like I said, done this before. I have no idea if it's going to work the way we want it to work, but we're going to try. <laughs> and so uh, we'll see how it goes. But first, I, w- I do want to mention that we, we thank our sponsors and appreciate your su- support of our sponsors, such as Guardian Nation, as well as cert next level training with their cert pistols we we love cert and next level training and everything that they do for us in our dry fire routines and also want, want to bring to your attention today another sponsor which is pig lube we love pig lube uh i was going to have some here to show up on the screen and i i left it over in the far corner maybe i'll sneak away when you're talking jacob and i'll grab it anyway so appreciate your support of our sponsors Today, we are going to be discussing the recently passed in the House legislation, H.R. 38, uh, which we was joined with that H.R. 4477. We know there's a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts, maybe even some concerns about this legislation. So for today's episode, we're going to be discussing that live on Facebook for the first time ever, episode 180 of the podcast. And I think if I hit this little button that should fade out, ooh, look, it went away. Our music went away. So <laughs> you guys would be amazed at the, I, I've never run with quite a setup like what we're doing today, Jacob. I got faith in you. <laughs> I'm amazed everything seems to be working so far. Hey, we got a couple people checking in already on uh, Facebook. We got Dennis and Matt. Uh, you know Matt, by the way, Jacob. Matt, that yeah. came through. Yeah, yeah. He's so local. Appreciate you guys. Chris now saying good morning. Hey, drop in the chat where you guys are from. It's always fun to see just how wide and how big our audience has grown across the, across the nation and actually across the world. We see download statistics on the podcast coming in from overseas even. I, I hope a lot of times that's uh, – I hope we're not giving like – training and tactics to to our terrorist you know enemies jacob i i would like to think that's our our, our men and women overseas that are fighting fighting our battles but cross your fingers <laughs> if, as you're dropping in where you're from uh, if you're a member of guardian nation we'd love to know that as well yeah absolutely so with that i, I think without further ado uh let's jump into today's discussion which is on this recently passed legislation I'm going to let you lead it here to start, Jacob, because uh, last night you wrote an article put put on the website concealedcarry.com, uh, you know about the legislation and, and tried to address some of the questions uh, going on with that. Yeah, so I guess uh, intro for those who haven't have no idea what we're talking about or what's going on. The uh, House Bill 38 uh, has been combined with House Bill 4477. So what was previously 4477 is now Title Two 
of House, of House Bill 38, and it has been voted on and passed by the House, and so it's on its way to the Senate, where some shenanigans are likely to happen. Uh, but at least for now, we have a bill. We know what's in it. We know what it says. We'd like to believe we know what it means. And this is the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017. And in short, the aim of this act is to remove the reciprocity patchwork by essentially requiring that all states honor or have reciprocity with all other state concealed carry permits, or that they extend the rights of concealed carry as they define them in their state to those who live in a state where concealed carry is legal without a permit. So put differently, if you can legally carry concealed anywhere, (laughs) darn near, or at the very least in your home state, or if you have a permit, a valid permit issued by any state, then you could carry concealed in any other state. Roughly. Um, there's probably going to be some questions here about um, the fixed NICS piece and some questions about res- you know, resident versus non-resident and all that kind of stuff. This is what's so awesome about uh, doing this live on Facebook uh, and using Zoom. Zoom's a program that uh, we use for a lot of in-company meetings. I could share my screen and here we are on, on our site. Uh, concealedcarry.com and you can see this article and some of these questions and answers that Jacob has posted in this article. So pretty cool. We, we've never done podcasts where we could share stuff like that live as we're talking about it. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's basically the gist like you just covered, Jacob. I spent some time yesterday and you'll see here, this is, oh, I'm. <laughs> you'll see here because I was only sharing my uh, browser window. If I hit the right thing here, I'm going to share. This is actually the text of the bill uh, that was passed. Okay, so uh, we've got uh, right here, it's titled the uh, Text of Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017. Title One is the Concealed Carry Reciprocity. We're not Act seeing it. We're not seeing it, Riley. I just see a, a blackness. Oh no, that's not working. Yeah, if you're trying to share your let's, screen, we're not. Yeah. yeah, let's try that one more time. Okay, so we're learning the technology here. Let's see. Should be this window, and it should let me. Uh, we'll try again. Hopefully, it comes up. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. It's no. Big well, line try. down the middle. Sorry, you're, you're fired from let's, screen sharing. Let's, let's try one more thing. I'll just share my entire screen. How about that? You give that a run. <laughs> okay, let's try... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh, not that. This. Here we go. This, this should do it. Okay. Are you seeing this now? Yes, you're good. Ah, <laughs> okay. We got it worked out. So, Title One is the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act of 2017. This is what was known as HR 38. Okay, if we scroll down quite a ways, actually, we get to what's called Title II, and this is the Fix NICS Act. Okay, so two, two different ideas or, or two different laws, essentially, here, uh, all combined into the one bill. And you'll see uh, the length comparatively. Look, look how far I'm scrolling. Okay, so Title I is about uh, a little more, that much. That's about a third it's of the language. It's that much. <laughs> and that's about a third of the language and all the rest of this is fix and X. Yep. So let's start with uh, some of the details on the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act piece, the Title yep. One. And as we go through this, guys, feel free to go ahead and start throwing in the questions. Just type them right in there on Facebook and we will take those in stride. Yep, absolutely. So uh, first off, you know, there's been some questions, Jacob, about who can... And I know you gave us a summary, but we've got the text right here in front of us. So we can kind of walk through this, I think, I think step by step with uh, viewers and, and listeners. Uh, we see right here, very first section, that it talks about a person, okay? So this would be you or I or anybody, all right? Who can 
who is allowed, Jacob, and where or how can they carry concealed? What What is this national reciprocity? Where does it come from and what does it mean? Because I know some of this language down further is going to really confuse some people. Mm-hmm. So in order to qualify under this bill, the following things have to be true. You, number one, have to be a person who is not prohibited by federal law from possessing, transporting, shipping, or receiving a firearm. And if you're prohibited by federal law, by doing for you know to do any of those things, you probably know about it. You've probably been convicted of a felony or something else serious has gone on, mentally adjudicated insane in a courtroom or things that you probably know about. You, you, you're unlikely to be shocked to find out you're prohibited by federal law to possess a firearm. So you, you probably know who you are. So that's number one. You have to be that person. Number two, you have to be carrying valid ID that has a photograph. So like a driver's license, something that's been issued by a state or any, you know, any governing jurisdiction or body in this country. So it's an ID card, a passport, a driver's license, anything like that. That's number two. That has to be true. You also, number three, have to have been issued or are carrying a valid license or permit to, uh, that was issued by a state which, perm- which permits a person to carry a concealed firearm or is entitled to carry a concealed firearm in the state which the person resides. So let me clarify because it's like it's, it's either this or this. So the first possibility is I've been issued a valid permit or license by a state and that, and that issue, that, that permit or license I have allows me to carry a concealed firearm or if, if, if A doesn't, if that doesn't work for me, then B is an alternative. I reside in a state that allows a person to carry a concealed handgun with or without a permit. So what we would call a permitless or a constitutional carry state. So, so either or, right? E- either I can have a permit that was issued by a state in this country, or I can reside in a state that doesn't require a permit to carry concealed. Now, this is, this is the part that's confusing though, right? When people read this, and we've got a question that came in. Uh, in fact, I'll show you my whole email here. <laughs> uh, what well, was I don't want people wow. to see names, so be careful. I didn't go in, in, into much detail there. So uh, I think it was Kyle that emailed us, I believe, asking about this this part of the law because he's like, I, I looked at the text. I didn't see uh, what, what you guys are talking about as far as it, it, to him, I think, you know, and this is easy. This, I made this mistake yesterday. You and I had a really in-depth conversation, Jacob, uh, because I was reading it and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it was supposed to be this, but it, when I read it, it seems like it's that. And so let's let's read this word by word, this first little kind of major clause here, and then we can explain it how eventually it, it has now come to make sense to me and already made sense to you, Jacob. <laughs> and so right here we, we read, a person who is not prohibited by federal law from possessing, transporting, shipping, or receiving a firearm who is carrying a valid identification document containing a photograph of the person and who is carrying a valid license or permit, which is issued pursuant to the law of a state and which permits the person to carry a concealed firearm. I'm going to stop there because that's like one big long, well, there's a couple of commas there, but you you touched on that. Someone's got to be carrying a valid, valid identification document, right? Um, A a, uh, driver's license, for instance, with a photograph of you on it. Okay. And then there's a comma and it says, and who is carrying a valid license or permit, which is issued pursuant to the law of a state and which permits you to carry a concealed firearm or is uh, or concealed firearm. Stop there, right? So you got to, ha- no matter who you are, 
you've got to carry a valid identification document. That's the part that's in between those two commas, right? It's like a person who's not prohibited by law, who is carrying this identification, and then comma, and you're carrying a valid license or permit, which is issued percent to, to the, so in other words, it can still carry permit, and that permits you to carry concealed. And then what do we see? Or you are entitled to carry a concealed firearm in the state in which the person resides. So some of the confusion has been that, yes, we have this uh, national reciprocity, uh, but you got to have a permit from your resident state. No, that's not so. It says you must have a permit that's issued to the laws of a state that permits you to carry concealed or your state in which you reside entitles you to carry a concealed firearm. Yep, think of it this way. There are three requirements for this to apply. Requirement one, you're not federally restricted from possessing firearms. Requirement number two, you carry valid ID with a photograph. Requirement number three has two options. You can be 3A or you can be 3B. 3A is you've been issued a permit by a state. A concealed carry permit by a state. That, that's good enough. That's yep. 3A. Or 3B is an alternative. You live in a state that entitles you to carry a concealed firearm without a permit. Yep. So it, you, those three requirements have to be met, but you don't have to meet A and B of, of, of number three, right? You just, it's one or the other. So let me give you some, right. some applications, some examples here. And uh, someone commented here in our, in our Facebook chat, uh, Glenn, said you can carry concealed in Arizona if you're 18 or older and no criminal record. So Arizona, Wyoming, Idaho, New That's Hampshire, in Maine, Utah, right? Uh, you need a permit in Utah. Well, he said you can carry concealed in Arizona. That's right. Arizona is a, yeah. Arizona is anyway. a so, so constitutional carry states like Arizona, Wyoming, Idaho, New Hampshire, Maine. There's others that I'm forgetting off the top of my head because it doesn't matter. But if you live in one of those states, and let's say you've never obtained a permit because for whatever reason you don't want one. That's fine. This bill applies to you. You carry around ID and you're not federally restricted from having a gun. You're set because you reside in a state that allows constitutional carry, that, that rec- allows that you carry concealed without a firearm, right? Now, let's say, let, let me give you another crazy, I'm going to give you two more that, that I think will fit most people. If you're, These three scenarios are going to fit most people. Let's say you're Riley or I. Now, you live in a state where you can get a permit and you have one. Uh, there's no constitutional yep. carry here in Colorado, but, but Colorado does issue a permit. So we've gone out, we've gotten one. Great. This, this bill applies to us because we have a permit from Colorado. Now, let me give you an alternative scenario. Let's say you live in Los Angeles, California, or Trenton, New Jersey, or Boston, Massachusetts. These are three places where you essentially cannot obtain a concealed carry permit. Honolulu, Hawaii, right? If you live in one of these, these places, there's no conceivable way of you getting a concealed carry permit at this point in time. Not that, that technically it's not possible, but that the issuing governing body just won't do it. So you're not going to get a permit. So in, 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 you, know, you can't get a local permit. So instead, you go get a non-resident permit from a state that makes that really easy. Probably Utah, Arizona, Florida, or, or Virginia. Those are kind of the four go-tos. So I live in Los Angeles, California. I go get an Arizona permit. This bill still applies to you because you have been issued a permit to carry a weapon from a state. Arizona happens to be. The fact that, that it's a non-resident permit, that you live in California is irrelevant as it relates to this bill. So that's, that's how this works. Uh, interesting comment here from Howard. Uh, to carry in Nevada as a Nevada resident, you have to have a Nevada permit for Nevada and most states are that way. Most states actually is a push, about 12 states that are that way. Louisiana, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Colorado, uh, Nevada. But, but regardless, that's, that's kind of not the point. The point is that this bill will actually change that, right? This bill would, would, yep. would essentially force Nevada to allow a Nevada resident with a Utah permit to carry in Nevada. 
because the bill says that anyone who's been issued any permit from any state can carry in any state. So it would take those states like Nevada, Colorado, Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina, uh, Louisiana, and it would it would and Florida is another one, and it would essentially say no, not anymore, because the the federal law says that anyone with any permit can carry. So it would it would actually undo some of that that legislation there, or at least make it no longer constitutional. Right. Third, ex- or did I give all three examples? Yes, I did. So you live in a state that's constitutional carry. You have no permit. This bill applies to you. You live in a state where you've gotten your your state permit. This bill applies to you. You yeah. live somewhere, but you got a permit from some other state. This bill still applies to you. Now, Howard adds there, federal law does not trump state law. Now, I, I, I get that, and, I, and I, I hear what you're saying, Howard. Uh, in fact, frankly, I mean, I'm a big states' rights proponent, and I know like even that's almost a controversy in of itself with this issue because, and I've been, I've been consistent on this since the get-go. Since we first heard of these proposed bills months and months ago, Jacob, I've been, we, we've been consistent as far as saying, you know, this is an interesting dichotomy. This is an interesting... Uh, juncture of of two you know opposing positions that within myself I've got a little bit of uh, uh, dissonance on on the issue because I'm a big believer in local government state government the close I feel like the closer government is to the people the more and better representation the people has in that government right but at the same time we recognize a a strong federal government as well because it, it comes with a lot of great benefits and it keeps us united as a country of course we, we get that right so but the states' rights thing, right? We've got Democrats now on the other side that are claiming, they're, they're taking the states' rights stance, even though on past issues, they, they would totally take a, a different approach as far as, well, we got to have, you know, other things that are regulated and controlled across the board throughout the country. And now they're taking the states' rights stance. And Republicans that are saying we need to have the federal government telling everybody that they've got to accept concealed ha- uh, handgun or concealed carry permits. This, this is this is really interesting. Like I said, I've been for a long time consistent on this in that it's concerning to me to a degree. However, I've I, I, I've done some kind of personal. Uh, I know this is a scary thought. I've done some you know personal digging into my own my own beliefs and thoughts on this. And the way I look at it is like this. This is a Second Amendment issue. The Second Amendment is the Second Amendment for a reason, right? We've got number one and we got number two. <laughs> and they're right there at the top. Like this is the second thing that our founding fathers uh, you know, thought of and went, okay, we've got to have an amendment that addresses this, right? And so th- that's significant. And I, I think it's reasonable to, to say that, uh, especially in a situation like this, because concealed carry law across the country is confusing. It is uh, troublesome. And it's a Second Amendment issue, which should acro- apply across the board. Like we should all have, in my opinion, equal Second Amendment rights. I mean, we hear cries in this country, Jacob, about equal rights, equal rights. We should all have equal rights where it comes to the right to carry, uh, to, to keep and bear arms. Right? Sure. So, you know, now to answer, I think to come back to Howard's point, federal law does not trump state law. It it would not surprise me to see some state like California or New York or Massachusetts file a federal lawsuit saying this violates our state's rights. We want control over this issue. Yeah, to to say that that the federal law does not trump state law is is a complicated oversimplification of the reality, right? Right. I mean, in, in all reality, I think one could also say federal law trumps state law. 
and 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 all and be as accurate as saying the reverse. Um, you know, Howard mentioned the the medical pot or or even recreational pot for that matter uh, example, and that's true. But no one has yet gone to you know the U.S. Supreme Court and say, can Colorado, can Washington, can Nevada, or these other states have uh, sell sell marijuana? And if they did, it'd be interesting to see what the Supreme Court says. Because if the Supreme Court says yes, then the federal law would have to be undone. If the Supreme Court says no, then then those states are in fact in violation. So it's not that that one trumps the other. It's that it really has to be challenged in in a courtroom, yeah. and, and a, a Supreme Court has to rule on. So that's how I that's how I think of it. I think the point though is is simply that this is what the law would mean. The implications sometimes get a little bit dicey, and and people have to challenge that in order to find out who wins. There's some other questions here I just want to address really yep. quickly that I think we can we can get through. So someone just clarified, this bill has passed the House, but still has to go to the Senate. Yes, it does. And that opens up a whole new can of worms that we might have to get to. Uh, someone asked here, um, what about a non-resident Arizona permit to carry in California? I think I, hopefully I answered that. The answer is yeah. Like if you, it, non-resident permits would be good is the answer. The way this bill reads, if you have any permit issued by any state, it's good in all 50 states, period. That's that's how it reads. Um Let's see. There was another one here that was very simple like that. Oh, similar. I have a concealed carry permit from Virginia, but I live in New Jersey. So could I carry in New Jersey? Yes. The way this bill reads, you could. Uh, any permit from any state allows you to carry in any state. It would be a race to the bottom, frankly, as far as concealed carry permits go. Uh, I mean, people would, would probably stop trying to get their own home permits and you'd have a lot more people trying to just apply for whatever permit in this country is easiest and cheapest to get, which debatably is good or bad. That's, that's kind of not point of this conversation. But it is a reality. It, it would also create an interesting kind of um, change in in the mentality of a state. Let's say that right now you're California, and you you know some counties are issuing permits, other counties are not, because each county de- determines differently how they interpret good cause uh, to to qualify for a permit. But regardless, it's a very you know complicated process. Most counties who do issue permits require quite a bit of training, usually 16 hours worth of it. That's an expensive permit. And this, let's say this bill were to pass and become law. Now, all of the residents of California are going to Arizona and paying $60 for permits. What would you do if you were California? You would probably freak out, right? You'd be like, A, we're losing a ton of revenue. Arizona's getting all this cash from our residents. And B, we got a bunch of people running around who have not had much training, not the training we want them to get. So you probably would be incentivized as a state to revise uh, your own training requirements and application process to, to try, try to make it a little bit easier and more affordable because otherwise you're essentially being circumvented. Uh, yeah. And that's how that would work out. Yep. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so I, I know it's a complicated issue. And I, we did have somebody pop in there too, uh, Brian, who said, uh, I've heard the re- reciprocity described as a driver's license. Keep it as simple as that. That is what they're essentially trying to do here is to, and that's been a comparison that has been made, including by the sponsor of the bill, that look, we have driver's licenses that are valid across the country uh, in any state, and they're issued under different laws in different states. But they're recognized how, you know, obviously we have to still obey traffic laws when we visit other states, but, uh, and we'll have to do the same too with this. I mean, you're going to, the states will still have full control over where you can and cannot carry. Jacob, you and I talked in a recent podcast episode about, you know, some of the potential uh, uh, pitfalls with this bill, uh, what it might cause some other states to do. I mean, they may pass, try to pass laws that restrict carry in all sorts of places uh, or, or weapons possession. Um, but, uh, 
it, it, it's still not quite as simple as that because of, I think, what's at stake here and what's in play, meaning it's not as simple as saying that it, you know, let's just describe it as a driver's license and keep it that simple. It, it, it is, that's the hope, that's the intent, but it's also not. Um, let's see here. Oh, and Howard jumps in. My understanding, except if you live in the state, California residents can't carry in California with a Virginia permit. That is true under the current Today. law. Yeah. yeah. And, and so assuming this got passed through the Senate, and we'll talk about what, what the chances of, of that happening are, but assuming it gets passed through the Senate and President Trump signs it into law, within 90 days, the law will take effect and the law from that 90 days forward will be that you could, in theory, get a Virginia non-resident permit and carry in your home state. I know in California right now, and his head's going like, "No, that can't happen." That's what this bill says. I'm not saying that that what you, you know that you don't have a valid point, Howard, uh, and, and that somebody somewhere might not challenge this. Meaning, like, you know, let's say, I mean. <laughs> well, let me let me switch to a story here, Jacob. This is the cool thing about doing this Facebook Live deal. I've got a, a story here I wanted to share with everybody. Okay, this popped up uh, last night. Are uh, you seeing this here? Uh, it's from yeah. the Daily Caller. Okay, this is uh, Democratic Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey, and he. The title of the story: Menendez throw CCW permit holders into prison for a long time if they enter Jersey. And he's saying, this is him quoting, he's saying this, throw them into the prison for five years. People violate our law. We are a state that, is, that has decided we are against concealed carry weapons. We have stronger gun laws. We believe we have made the state safer as that. He said, they violate our laws, then whatever is the law, and they are found guilty of it, they should pay the consequence. So he's basically saying, you know, forget this federal law. We don't care. We're still going to throw you in jail. Mm-hmm. That is the reality of this. That's why we're talking about this because the bill says that's not cool. In fact, there's even provisions in there that say if you are if you are uh, charged for violations of the concealed carry law, uh, then uh, and you were found not guilty, you have recourse to go back to them and sue them. You should be uh, awarded attorney's fees. Yeah, that says it right in the bill. Yeah. Um, a couple other interesting things that just popped in here. Someone said, oh, it's Howard, I think, again. Uh, something uh, was about the Second Amendment. Does the Second Amendment say conce- the right to, to keep and conceal guns? And obviously, we're familiar with the Second Amendment, right to keep and bear. It doesn't say that explicitly, but if you go read Heller 1 and Heller 2 decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court, I think you will find that the Supreme Court has ruled that the Second Amendment does give the citizen the right to carry a firearm on or about their person, concealed or otherwise, for the purpose of self-defense. So while that might not be explicitly written in the amendment, you know, in the Bill of Rights, the Supreme Court has essentially ruled that. And, and I think the point you're trying to make, Riley, here, just to kind of come back to what you were saying, is that just because a law gets passed, that doesn't mean it won't be challenged, ignored, or otherwise <laughs> disputed. Um, I mean, I'll give you another example. We have the Firearm Owner Protection Act of 1986, FOPA. And that law makes it illegal for any governing body to keep a, a database of gun owners and their guns. But there are states that do that. Hawaii does that to some degree. New York City does that explicitly. California does that to some degree. So these are states that are already doing things that are against federal gun laws, right? So it, it's certainly reasonable to expect that there's going to be challenges and, and or states that just say, screw you, feds. I don't care what you've passed. Uh, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So... 
Uh, I was going to go back to uh, just so we can show you where some of this is in the uh, statute. Let me pull up here. We'll share this again. Uh, here we go. Nope, wrong thing. <laughs> While you're doing I'll that, I'll get this figured out eventually. Oh, you got so, it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, right here, it's talking about in this uh, C1. Yeah, so yeah, it starts right here with C1. person who carries or possesses a concealed handgun in accordance with these, it's these previous subsections, which we have just basically talked about. They may not be arrested or otherwise detained for violation of any law or any rule or regulation of a state or any political subdivision thereof related to the possession, transportation, or carrying of firearms unless there's a probable cause to believe that the person is doing so in a manner not provided for in the section. So this is the piece of the legislation that's basically Trump, you know, its intent is to trump state law in this in these areas, right? Uh, now, presentation of facially valid documents as specified in subsection A is prima facie evidence that the individual has a license or permit as required in this section, okay? And then when a person asserts, this, this section here says that the state or the prosecution has, they have the burden of proof. They have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you violated the law somehow. And if you successfully assert this section as a defense in a criminal proceeding, the court shall award the prevailing defendant a reasonable attorney's fee. So you see that there. And then any person that is deprived of any right, privilege, or immunity secured by this section under color of any statute, ordinance, regulation, custom, or usage of any state. So once again, it's reiterating that this is trumping state laws or any political subdivision thereof may bring an action in any appropriate court against any other person, including a state or political subdivision thereof, who causes the person to be subject to the deprivation for damages or other appropriate relief, and the court shall award a plaintiff prevailing in an action brought under paragraph one damages and such other relief as the court deems in, uh, appropriate, including a reasonable attorney's fee. That's that whole section. That's what we're, tr- you know, that's what we're explaining here, that the law, as this is written, as it was passed in the House, it's trumping state laws and saying, this is the law of the land. You can carry in any state concealed, provided you have a permit of some sort from some state somewhere that's valid with other valid photo identification. Or you're from a state, you reside in a state where you have constitutional carry. If you're arrested, charged, uh, anything like that, you can point to this statute and say, I'm, I was carrying concealed lawfully under this section of this law. And yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what it says. That's pretty clear. Yeah, it's pretty explicit. A couple of good comments that have come in here from uh, Sean Baxter, he's an instructor in North Carolina. Sean made a couple of comments. One is that it's probably a good idea to keep minimum training consistent so states have to agree on a basic structure of licensing. Well, while, whether that may be a good or bad idea certainly isn't part of this bill. So if this, if this becomes law, that would be another thing to consider or to talk about and, and certainly I have opinions about it. And then Sean also says the state's would be, I think what he's saying is would be wise to do away with non-resident licensing to keep any state from monopolizing license revenue. Debatable opinion as well, but again, certainly not part of this bill. So not something that would happen immediately, uh, whether or not it's a good idea or not is, is, is a different conversation. But yeah, I mean, you're going to see states like Arizona, Utah, and probably Virginia monopolize a great deal of the revenue very quickly. And, oh, yeah. and I, I don't think it'll change, frankly, like I don't, I don't think that's something that a lot of people would advocate for, or that it's something that could get passed. But it's 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 a certainly a valid opinion to hold. Yeah. So 
Now, we've talked a little bit, although we haven't really talked about it in detail uh, in this episode yet, and uh, that is about this idea that you can basically carry any ammunition, any magazine, and potentially any handgun into these other states when you're carrying concealed under this section of the law. Uh, because right here is the definition. Now, right above there, we see that, that it's identifying what, I, what an identifi- identification document is. Uh, but then number two says the term handgun includes any magazine for use in a handgun and any ammunition loaded into the handgun or its magazine. So we have states like New Jersey where hollow points are not permissible. They're, they're outlawed unless you're law enforcement in, in New Jersey. Uh, people have been arrested for being caught in New Jersey with hollow point ammunition. This would supersede that. This would also supersede states where you, uh, like New York, they have their SAFE Act, where they outlawed uh, uh, magazines greater than seven rounds in capacity. That was changed now. You can have 10-round magazines, but you're not supposed to really load more than seven rounds in them. <laughs> well, now, as a New York resident, you, you probably still have to comply with New York law. You, you reside there. You can't buy or possess uh, those greater than 10-round magazines in the state of New York. But you're an outsider coming in where I'm, I'm legal in Colorado, oh, I hate our, our own you know, magazine capacity limit law here as well, but we can have 15-round magazines, citizens can uh, at least. And so I could travel to New York and carry through the state of New York or into New Jersey, in theory, per this bill, with my 15-round magazines and my hollow point rounds. I think it also applies to your resident state, frankly. Uh, so, so the way I read it, the way I, I interpret uh-huh. this is essentially this this would do away with all magazine capacity limitation laws this assuming you have a concealed carry permit to be clear if you had a permit and you're carrying under this bill which if you have any permit from any state then you and you're not you know federally prohibited from possessing a firearm and you have valid photo id with you then you are carrying under this bill whether in your own state or in any other of the 49 states and as this reads you can carry any magazine for use in a handgun and any ammunition loaded into that handgun or its magazine. So essentially immediately derails or in my, in my view of it, supersede or override any uh, magazine capacity limitation or other ammunition restrictions like New Jersey's hollow point bull crap. Um, now again, does that stand to be challenged and fought out? Sure. But that's how I read it. It's pretty clear. That's what the intent of the bill is. I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Like uh, <sighs> Because I, I think this is having to do more with interstate travel and possession. No, I don't think it's a stretch at all because it says it, it, up above when we're talking about what applies to the bill, it says yeah. if you have a permit and you're carrying in any state, it doesn't say that states other than your own. It says any I, state. I just think, I don't know. You know okay, so I, I've seen some questions come up. You know, People have been asking, would, would you be willing to challenge this? Would you be willing, provided this went, became the law, would you still be willing to carry concealed into somewhere like New Jersey or New York City? Would you, would you be willing to test this law and see if you get away with it? If, if local, uh, you know, if NYPD lets you carry in New, York, in, in New York City with a permit and you're carrying concealed, which is basically illegal to do in New York City, right? So there, there's that piece. Then would you be willing to test the law as far as, well, I live in New York, so I'm limited, limited to 10-round magazines. I, I think it's definitely, I definitely think that if I was to go to another state, I definitely have no problem carrying any of the magazine. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I'd be willing, if I lived in New York, to push it quite that far. 
But uh, I, I, and to be honest, I, I think it's uh, definitely going to be something I'd be thinking twice about, about even still with this law in, in place. I think I would do it. I'd make sure I had my uh, USCCA insurance or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you would do it because I'm just not the guy to test things. Like I'm just not a <laughs> guinea pig kind of dude. I just assume keep my rights well, stay and, and, and move my life forward. But someone else will test it and we'll find out. <laughs> and that's the nature of the law, guys. Like if you're listening to this, you have here Jacob and Riley who are not attorneys. We're certainly not legislatures. That's true. And, we should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're doing nothing more here than reading something and doing our best to guess how, what, what it would mean, right? Which by the way, is the only thing that any of us can do uh, because laws don't mean anything until they're applied in a courtroom, right? Yeah. So, so until you have uh, a judge and or jury of your peers deciding what this means for any one given instant based on the evidence pre- presented, it doesn't mean squat. Like we're all just doing our best to guess here. Hey, real quick, let me just address this because this is, this I think has been looked over quite a bit, uh, but this also allows you to carry in any unit of a national park system, a unit of the National Wildlife Refuge System, public land under the jurisdiction of BLM or Army Corps of Engineers or Bureau of Reclamation and any land administered and managed by the U.S. Forest Service. So most of those places you you can already carry, but I think this just makes it very clear and without question that you can carry in, in any of these particular places. Now it's not opening military bases or other, you know, federal buildings or, or whatever. It's not doing that, but all this kind of public land and stuff like that, it's without a question per this bill, you can carry concealed on those uh, properties. A couple of questions I'm going to quickly uh, address here. So Andrew, this is a good one. And we're probably going to really hash this out a lot here in a few minutes. So hopefully you stick around. But you said reciprocity is good. The fix Nick's bill is something that the leftist will use against us when they regain their seats in the future. These two bills need to be separated or the Dems will use this blanket law, flip it around and strip us of all our God-given rights. I disagree with you, but we will discuss that uh, more here uh, shortly, I'm sure. Um, Let's see. Here's one. from Brandon, he says, if they would simply add a section for CCW on the US ID and recognize like a license that every state equally. So I think what you're saying is, hey, you know, could I just have an endorsement on my driver's license? This says I can carry. Uh, that would be interesting. That's a cool idea, but certainly not what this bill is proposing to do. Uh, let's see here from Brian. How does this bill apply to concealed carry in vehicles, such as the popularity of the AR pistol built in truck guns? So the bill very specifically mentions handgun, and then it has a provision to define handgun. So I think the short answer is it applies to handguns. Uh, so is an AR pistol a handgun? Well, if we're, if we're looking for a federal definition, we'd have to go to the ATF, and I would say the answer is yes. yes. It is. It's a pistol. Yeah, it's a pistol. So, so the answer is any handgun and an AR pistol, per the ATF's definition, is a pistol, is a handgun. So it would apply, is, is the answer. Um, that, that's, how that, that's how that looks. Um, another one here from Brandon. I'm not sure I understand this one, Brandon. He said, uh, like state of carry or state in the U.S., i.e. open or concealed. So it doesn't say anything about open carry. It's very specific, in fact, about concealed carry. Now, what it doesn't have is any sort of provision to define what is or was it, what isn't concealed, which implies that how concealed is defined would remain a state thing. So here in Colorado, we have a very specific def- definition for what is and what isn't concealed. It's based on a 1972 Colorado Supreme Court decision. Other states either have something legislated or something that's been you know, refined through court processes as well. So, so th- as I understand it, the short answer is this bill only applies to concealed carry, but because it doesn't have a definition of what is and what isn't concealed, that remains a question at the state level. 
Yeah. I would almost wish that a few of those finer points of concealed, you know, concealed carry law were, were maybe addressed in this. I mean, what is concealed and not concealed would be something really nice to see clarified in a bill like this, I think. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad, a bad point. In fact, there's a lot of things that we could all argue whether or not they should be included in here or left up to the states. Um, yeah. and, and this is probably the next rabbit hole for us to jump into here in this conversation. That is, what then can the states still do? If this bill were to be passed and become law, and let's just assume that everyone would, would comply and there's no drama, then what is that? What, what power have we taken away from the states and what power have we left with the states? Well, we've, we've taken away the power of the states to determine who can carry in this state, right? We've, we've told them they have to honor all permits or they have to allow a resident who lives in a state that, that doesn't require a permit to carry in their state. So we've, we've stripped them of that. Um, we've also stripped them of, of the ability to determine what magazines or what ammunition they can use in those, in those guns. Um, that, that's no longer their option. But we leave in their power the decision about what somebody with a valid permit can do in that state. For example, where can you go? Uh, so, so right now, there are some states, for example, that, that don't allow you to take your concealed handgun into an establishment that serves alcohol or an establishment that derives a certain percentage of its revenue from alcohol sales or whatever. Um, you know, there, there are things like that. So let's just assume, let's play out a fun scenario. Let's say that New Jersey is just pissed off to high end, no end water because this got passed, it's become law, and now they have to honor all these permits. So in theory, what New Jersey could do is they could go pass a new law that says, okay, well, in New Jersey, for now on, if you have a valid permit, you may not carry in public places. You can't carry on streets, parks, sidewalks, uh, anything you know that, that's owned or controlled by the public. They could do that in theory. I mean, you could go challenge that and get it into a court and, and whatever. But, but this bill does not prevent their ability to control where you could take guns and how you could have them on you. So, for example, could the state pass a law that says you can't carry around in the chamber? Yeah, they yeah. could. Totally. They totally could. It doesn't because it doesn't say anything. That's you know, already this, true in Utah. Yeah, this this bill does not protect your right to carry loaded, right? Right. It doesn't doesn't exist. So so yeah. those are you know how you could carry and where you could carry are are examples of things that the state can still control. And certainly, we would expect that there would be some states who would probably tighten that down, given that they're now being forced to honor all permits. So that example, by the way, you gave is another thing that I'd like to I'd like to have seen in this bill. Like, and you can carry your gun in any manner you, you know that you wish to do so. Yeah. I mean, for example, they they probably couldn't say you have to have. I was just, I was just trying to think about safeties because it says a handgun, but it, but this this the bill does not clarify any specificity about the handgun itself. So a state could say you have to have a safety mechanism and it has to be engaged. Um, those are, you know, those are things that the state in theory could, could do and could say, um, that's, yeah. that's not outrageous to consider. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Um, Here, here's the message yeah. I want to make sure that I'm communicating about this. If this becomes law, there's a lot of danger and a whole lot of gun owners out there right now, 13, 14 million people with concealed carry permits running around the nation thinking that I'm good now. I can just do whatever I want anywhere with the gun all the time. And forgetting that while the, the patchwork of recipro reciprocity has been removed, the patchwork of just different state gun laws has not been removed. And you still yep. have, a, have a burden to research and be familiar with and in compliance of other relevant gun laws when you're in different states. Yep. Yeah, it's good clarification to have for sure. So let's uh, talk real quick now about, well, I don't know about real quick, because this is kind of the other elephant in the room, so to speak, and that is this uh, fix nicks 
part of the bill. Before we go there, or we can go there after, but I did want to make sure that we talk about the section of HR 38 that talks about uh, school zones, schools. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's hit that now. Thanks for reminding me. Yep. So you can pull it up if you want. I don't care. But what what it basically says is anyone carrying concealed under this bill. So again, per the requirements we already mentioned, right? If you're carrying concealed under this bill, then you are not... Um, how's it worded? In the, you can pull up the text, but basically says that the 922Q no longer applies to you. So you're no longer restricted by what's in 922Q. 922Q is a reference to the Gun-Free School Zone no. Act, yeah. yep. um, which is a portion of an interstate commerce thingamajigger that was passed a long time ago. Here it is right here. Ah, thanks, Riley. So, so essentially, yeah, here it is. A person who possesses or carries a concealed handgun under, under this section, under this law we've been talking about, shall not be subject to the prohibitions of section 922Q with respect to that handgun. So let's clarify what 922Q is. So the, the Gun-Free School Zone Act, what that, that law basically says is you cannot have a gun in a school zone unless otherwise per- permitted by the state. There's a couple other exceptions, like maybe you live somewhere that's technically inside a school zone. Your house is right next to a school, and so you're technically within the 1,000 feet of a school rule. There's some other like kind of less relevant exceptions. But for the most part, what it says is you can't have a gun in a school zone unless you're otherwise per- permitted by the state. And so what that has always meant up till now is that if I'm permitted, right, I have a concealed carry permit by Colorado and Colorado then allows someone with a permit to be in a a school zone, then I am permitted and therefore that federal law doesn't apply to me anymore. Um, But what this is saying is now with this new bill, should it become law, if I'm carrying under this bill, then that that gun-free school zone act just period doesn't apply to me, regardless of what other state drama might exist. Now, let me clarify, that doesn't mean that we can all now carry guns into schools. I, I do not go running right around saying concealedcarry.com. Jacob, that guy said that if this bill passes, I can take a gun to, yeah. to my kid's school. It doesn't. No, I didn't say that. What I said is it removes the federal restriction on school zones, but it still allows that a state could say what? you can't have a gun in the school or you can't have do this or that, right? The, the state can still have whatever school restrictions they want. It just says that the federal school zone restriction is is now you know, removed and, and irrelevant if you're carrying under this bill. Right. And so let's, let's clarify or define that school zone by what we mean is what that section of that law is talking about is that you cannot have a handgun or, or a firearm within a thousand feet of a school on public property. Okay. And it's referring to, it's like on public right of, on public right of ways. So in other words, you can't walk down the sidewalk across the street from the school. You can't drive down the street in theory uh, with that gun in your possession uh, unless you have a permit essentially in a lot of states. Um, Now, if you live within a thousand feet of school, you're, you're, you're exempted from that because you're on your own property. Uh, Now this is a, little, a rarely prosecuted part of this federal law, but it basically is just making that null and void. Mm-hmm. So in other words, with, with the exception, we're not talking about the actual school property. We're talking about all the public property that is around that school. So assuming the sidewalk, or maybe it's the sidewalk across the street from the school, I could carry concealed, walk right down the street, uh, and not be in any violation of any sort of uh, uh, federal school zone. Right. Yeah. A good question that popped in here that I think I need to 
uh, answer. This is from Kaylee. And Kaylee said, sadly, some states may close their carry law altogether. They might try, but that's also not okay, is the short answer. Like, you can't do that. We've had U.S. Supreme Court decisions and most recently federal district court decisions that say that all the, all the state has to allow some method by which their citizens can carry a concealed gun. That, that's why Illinois today has concealed carry permits is because in 2012, the federal district court said that their refusal to have permits at all or to issue them or to otherwise allow people to carry concealed was unconstitutional. So in 2013, Illinois instituted their concealed carry permit program, becoming the 50th and last state to do that. So can states just then close this all up and opt out of this bill? My answer is, well, I suppose theoretically they could try it, but it wouldn't be constitutional. They'd be against that, directly against that uh, federal ruling, that court ruling. Yeah, it's very, like, there's plenty of precedent for that. Another question from Kaylee here, which is really good. Doesn't it give private owned places to, uh, to not allow carry on their property, which is not good at all? So this bill, it actually, it makes it very clear. There's actually a section of the bill that specifically says this bill does not take away the rights of the state or private property owners to restrict carry. So, so not only does it, does it not go so far as to remove those rights, but it also it very specifically says that this, the people maintain those rights. Put differently, if Lowe's or X grocery store or restaurant, movie theater or whatever, the property owners of any given private property in America still want to restrict uh, guns on their property, they can continue to do that as they always have, and this bill does not change that. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what kind of makes me chuckle a little bit, Jacob, is everywhere you look, if you look at the news coverage of this legislation, a lot of the comments, even headlines in some of the more liberal uh, news media outlets, excuse me for using the term liberal, <laughs> but it's, you, know, you know what I mean. There, there's a lot of this uh, being thrown around where people are like, well, this is going to make things less safe for us. Uh, even that uh, Senator Menendez from New Jersey said that basically said that our laws here have protected and made our state more safe. And now we're going to, he's implying we're going to make it less safe by passage of this national reciprocity. I think that we have an issue with our feed, Riley. Do we? Yeah, we got a comment here, no longer live. And you do look frozen to me on Facebook. Can you just like circle my and end, check I, it? It's looking good on my end. Oh, okay. Maybe it was just my computer. Um, you know, that's totally true. And, and and honestly, like to some degree, I am sympathetic. I've even seen this in very pro-gun states. I've seen state, I've seen articles uh, out of Texas, um, newspapers and, and news news outlets. They're saying things like, hey, Texas, like watch out. Like we, we require people to do certain things in order to get a permit. Now we're going to let anybody come in here doing anything. So I'm a little sympathetic to the, the attitude, the sentiment of, hey, like this is going to reduce all of America to the least common denominator. Uh, which is true. I mean, that's, that's not untrue. I mean, yeah, I mean, that means that people in Wyoming and Indiana and Pennsylvania who don't even have to take a class, they can just walk in, sign papers, pass back or check and get a permit. They can now carry everywhere. And if you are someone who's in a state who feels very strongly about, you know, minimum training requirements and stuff like that, that's going to feel very uncomfortable. So I, I am sent, I'm, I'm, like I said, I think I am sympathetic to the sentiment, but I also would suggest that there's no data to suggest whatsoever. Like you cannot show me a piece of data that would suggest that that's a valid concern. I mean, right now, today, we have over half of this country, more than 25 states in this nation, honor all permits already. Like they they already are in compliance with this, right? They already allow any permit from anywhere in this country to be valid in their state. And you can't show me a single example 
of any of them ever having had a problem of somebody popping into their state with little to no training who, who got some permit somewhere else and causing a problem. That, that hasn't happened yet that I'm aware of. So there's no data, despite having a very deep decades worth of track record, there's no data to support the sentiment that we're now going to be less safe because we've reduced everything to the lowest common denominator. So we'll obviously have a lot more data if this bill is passed and maybe we'll have some examples, but up to this point, I'm not aware of a single instance that you could show me. Yeah, it, it cracks me up because, you know, everywhere you see this, well, we're going to make things less safe. But keep in mind, who are we talking about? We're talking about people who, in most cases, got a permit and they've been FBI background checked in most states. We're talking about the best, you know, when you look at the collective you know, whole average of, of, of the population of our country, we're talking about the, the best of the best and people that can pass an FBI background check, which honestly is still the majority, obviously, but you get what I mean. Like we're talking about law abiding citizens that have gone through a, a pretty in, intensive and somewhat invasive background check to a degree. And they've been verified as being law abiding citizens. They have nothing in their record that would suggest that, that they're, that they are a danger to society. And yeah. those are the people that we're talking about here and saying that they're going to make us less safe. The fact yeah. that now they can carry in more places. And, and I'm the first one to admit that like some concealed carry permit holders out there are bad people and they sometimes commit crimes. Like it's true. If, if you ever tell anyone that no concealed carry permit holder ever has ever committed a crime with like, you're a liar. Check out concealedcarrykillers.org sometime. Like it has happened, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, but it has happened. But that doesn't mean that That's it only happens. Site, by the way, oh, I'm sorry. That's a biased site, by the Very way. Very biased. So, yes. Take it with a grain of salt. It's one I really enjoy looking at, despite it being a bunch of bullcrap. There, there are stories in there that I read, and I'm like, mm, no, you know, because they make some pretty broad assumptions about it, it, it's crap for sure. But the, but I, I simply pointed out as a way to say, hey, yeah, sometimes you know, permit holders do dumb bad things. Like sometimes there's criminals. Yes, sure. But that has nothing to do with this because it, what it doesn't say is that permit holders in Indiana who have no training are any more prone to be criminals than ones in Texas that do. So, so it, it, it's not an argument that's valid in this, in this context. Um, a couple of things that came up here that I wanted to just quickly, another one here from Kaylee. In Florida, we can carry in businesses and stuff regardless of what they say. Does, so does this mean that they will now be able to say that we can't? So the reference here or, the, or the, the context for those who are curious is that in some states, in our industry, we love to say this, though I have personal opinions that I think would contradict this, but what our industry likes to say is that some states, uh, private property prohibitions don't have the force of law. We love saying that, right? In other words, they can say that you can't carry in their business, but you can just ignore that and go in and they can't charge you with any crimes, okay? Whereas other states, if a private property owner you know, says you can't carry that's backed up by law. If you go against that prohibition, you can be charged with stuff. And so, Kaylee, you're, you're essentially saying, I'm under the impression that here in Florida, that these, you know, no gun signs and stuff in private businesses don't have the force of law. Does this bill change that? The answer is this bill doesn't change it. What, what it really means or not, we can certainly debate about, and I got some opinions, but what I can tell you with great clarity is that this bill doesn't change squats. So whatever it is currently, it would remain that. Yeah, that's right. Let's uh, let's talk about this fixed NICS piece now because I know a lot of people are probably waiting to hear um, our analysis on that. And we did have a comment earlier of a gentleman that was concerned about that being used against us as gun owners, perhaps if not now in the future, if uh, you know Democrats take control of Congress. 
Yeah. So let me put some context on this one. What happened is we had a bill that was introduced in the Senate originally, this fix Nix bill. I can't remember the Senate bill number. Someone go Google it and you can share it here. But this bill was introduced in the Senate. And the way it was worded in the version introduced in the Senate was very horrible, uh, very scary. It essentially would, would expand the criteria by which you could be disqualified from buying a gun. And for those who don't, don't know NICS, like when we refer to NICS, it's the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. I don't know why we removed some of the letters because NICS sounds cooler, I think, than, than all the letters being in there. But it's, 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 the, it's the system by which, because of the Brady Bill that was passed, it's the system by which people go through a background check in order to be qualified to buy a gun. Okay, So this, the bill that was introduced in the Senate was going to expand the potential disqualifiers. It was going to say, hey, let's get the database over here from the Social Security Administration of people who, uh, you know, are, uh, you know, get Social Security benefits and let's make it so they can't buy guns. And let's get this database over here from this agency and let's, let's add that too so these people can't buy guns. And it, it was essentially going to expand the definition of what could disqualify you. You can imagine people like us in this industry didn't like that very much. So when we heard that a comparable bill was going to be introduced in the House and that that was going to be combined with the National Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act, that was not bueno. We're all like, uh, whoa, um, problem. Um, no, we don't like that. And, but, but despite that, if you go actually read the text of the Fix Nick's bill that has been added to HB 38, the, the Res, National Reciprocity, the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act, you'll find that it does not have those concerns. It does not scare us like the one in the Senate did. So hopefully that adds some initial context. And then Riley, I'll let you start to dive in. Yeah, so there's a lot here, guys. Um, and most, most of this is intended for federal agencies, uh, well, and state and local uh, law enforcement agencies as well. We, Jacob and I have gone through the Title II portion of this uh, concealed carry bill, and it is not as bad as what you know. Many of you probably, you know, Jacob just explained part of the reason why people were concerned about this so-called fix Nick's bill. Uh, there's not really anything in here that I can find that is insidious or that is a threat, an obvious threat. That's for sure. I can't find anything that really jumps out at me and goes, whoa, hey, that's a big question mark. It, it seems to be basically saying that everything that already exists as far as the data and information that's supposed to be reported to NICS, that's not changing. Okay. So everything that up, you know, for the last, what, they're almost 30 years. I think it was 19. Well, there was 19 six when there, there was a, an initial background check bill passed. That was the first one uh, that happened during Reagan's term. And then it was revised again in 96. Or 98, uh, 96. Either way, it's been a long time. Yeah. In yeah. the mid, it was during that whole time when we had the assault weapons ban and everything going on uh, as well. So it was revised again then. All right. But anyway, the point is everything that is already supposed to be reported to the NICS system, no, that's not changing. Okay. There was some concern. Well, this is going to mean, you know, that people are getting stuff reported that wasn't re being reported before. And suddenly they're going to be, you know, unable to buy firearms and it's an infringement on their rights and stuff. No, no nothing's changing as far as what's getting reported. What is changing is, I don't even know so, if it's so much how it's really just a, a, a much stronger emphasis on what, on the stuff that is reported. 
It's incentives and punishments. Only yep. thing this Title II really is doing is saying, hey, um, if you guys actually report the stuff you've always supposed to have been reporting, we'll give you an incentive to do that. And if you don't comply and you, you, you continue to not, or you, for whatever reason, do not submit the data that you were supposed to be submitting all these years, then you, you could have penalties. Yeah. So, and there is a couple of specific things like there's some specific initiatives that are being, that federal agencies are going to have, to, particularly the attorney, the office of the attorney general is going to, uh, they're, they're supposed to create some initiatives to really encourage the reporting of domestic violence uh, convictions and uh, also felony to, convictions to be clear, domestic violence, felony convictions. Correct. And then, and then also uh, there's, um, in, in, in initiatives, well, excuse me, not, not initiative. That's not the word I was looking for. There be, basically every federal agency, every federal law enforcement agency. Now, by the way, many federal agencies have law enforcement arms. You know, don't forget that the post office has their own. Now, I know that's a quasi-governmental agency, but but they have law enforcement officers that work within that agency as well. And they likely have to comply with this as well. But the point is, is every federal law enforcement agency has to create a plan that details how they are going to comply with these requirements for reporting to NICS. Okay. That's the first piece. And there's some very specific, uh, uh, not even so much incentives. And on the federal side of things, it's more like you're going to do this. You're going to file these compliance plans and reports and you're going to do it ever so often. And that's filed to the attorney general general's office. And there's parts in here that talks about the eternal attorney general's office has to review these reports and punish, you know, agencies that don't file them or doesn't, you know, do them on time or whatever. Okay. That's the first piece. And the second piece is creating initiatives and uh, incentives for state and local federal or state and local agencies to report the debt, the data they're supposed to be reporting. And part of that is in the form of grants. There's a hundred million dollars appropriated as part of this bill over a period of for some odd years. I think it's from 2018 to 2022 uh, that about half of that is, is set aside for grants and incentives for agencies that comply the way they're supposed to and they report everything like they're supposed to, then they can qualify for additional monies. It's basically what it is. It's, it's a pay for uh, you know, scheme uh, to say, hey, you guys better make sure that you're reporting everything you're supposed to to the next system. Yeah, there's there is also there's two other, yeah, you know, three I say three other things in here that I'll just quickly noteworthy sure. talk about that I don't think are a big deal, but it does talk about uh, tribal lands and tribal jurisdictions mm-hmm. also making sure that their data is getting into the system like it always should have been anyway. There's also something in here about making sure that we're actually um, prosecuting uh, people who mm-hmm. b- try to buy guns and they're denied, which hasn't changed. It's just like greater emphasis, uh, greater um, incentive, you know, to, to actually arrest people who shouldn't have guns, but have gone to try and buy one. And there's a thing in here um, that speaks to commissioning a study on criminal use of bump stocks, which is not passing any laws. It's just saying, hey, let's spend some cash to do a study to find out what, how, you know, what, how many crimes are being committed with bump stocks. It's, it's kind of dumb and stupid and waste of our tax dollars, but it's in here. And I know for some of you that is, uh, and I would say arguably even to me, this is a, that is probably the one part of the Fixed Nicks bill that is controversial because I don't really see the need to waste resources on a study on 
bump stocks used in crimes? Because number one, I'm quite certain they're going to spend quite a bit of money doing that study and report, and they're going to find about this many have been used in crimes. And the big one on the top of that list, of course, is the Mandalay Bay shooting. And so it's like, great, yeah, what did we learn from that? Well, a couple of times bump stocks have been used. In fact, to my knowledge, I'm only aware of the Mandalay Bay incident. I, I couldn't say I that there's been any other incidents. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't rule it out as far as I, I can imagine that some gangbanger in Chicago or, or yeah. L.A. somewhere has perhaps you know used one as well. But, uh, but it's a waste of cash. Isolated incidents. Yeah. So, but that number can be very small. But if it, if it makes some uh, Democrats or you know, whatever representatives feel warm and fuzzier about passing this bill, then I suppose maybe it's worth my tax dollars. That's a great debate. But uh, either way, it doesn't change anything legally about bump stocks or anything else. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's just not really a big deal. Um, Douglas, if you're still listening, Douglas G., um, I saw your question here. You said you should discuss mm-hmm. these as for and against rather than the two of you touting only what we can still carriers want. If you can give me some clarity uh, I'm not sure I totally understand what you want us to discuss. Like, I, I think we're trying to clarify like pros and cons of this bill and you know how it might shake out uh, over time. We are probably about to get into a conversation about what might happen in the Senate and how it might go down. But if you had, if you get a little more specific, I'm, I'm, I'm not clear on what you're asking. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to find the, uh, the bit about bump stocks. It's, oh, it's, it's the very way, end. It's way at the bottom. Yeah, as you can see, I've been scrolling for a while. A lot of this is just the specifics dealing with, you can see here, compliance, determination, accountability. So it's just all these plans and measures to ensure that law enforcement agencies are reporting and that they're being held accountable for things that are reported. There's going to be audits that are conducted. Uh, So hopefully we avoid have, you know, we, we don't have what happened with the Sutherland Springs, Texas incident where the Air Force just failed to report certain uh, parts about uh, that dude's record, which allowed him to go buy guns after he was discharged from, from the U.S. Air Force. Um, so that's basically what this is trying to do is create the accountability so that things get reported and we don't let things slip through the cracks. And, and I'll add just a quick note here that you should know, at least according to the information I've gotten from the NRA, which, yeah whatever that's worth, non-compliance with the NIC system reporting is actually very, very high. There's a ton yes. of data that's not getting in there. There's a large number of states that don't submit any of their stuff. Yep. There's a lot of agencies that aren't submitting stuff. So, so certainly know that it is, a, I mean, if you believe in the background check system, it is a big problem right now that a lot of data is not getting into that system. Get this, this, this bill, go, go ahead, Riley. This, this is in this bill. Do you know what the, the standard is for reporting? what they're supposed to try to at least achieve is 90% accuracy or 90% of the data, which, I mean, that's a pretty broad, <laughs> that's a, that leaves a wide margin of error. Uh, this is basically trying to remove that. Yep. But there's nothing in here that Riley or I can find or that have we've been able to hear from anybody else that could find anything in here at all that expands on who would be disqualified to get a gun or anything in here that would allow someone to later sidestep or change that because this was passed. And I've heard that comment too. I've heard some people just say straight up, oh, this is going to expand who, who can't get guns. Uh, not this one, the Senate bill maybe, but not, not this one that we just passed in the House. And the other comment I keep hearing from people, and this is the one that kind of came up earlier in this chat, was someone says something to the effect of, um, well, if we pass this, then later when Democrats are back in control, they'll use this against us. I, I, I can't see anything in here 
that would be a problem. I mean, they all all they can do with this is penalize or incentivize governing agencies to report the data that's already supposed to be there. That that's as far as this goes, as far as me, Ryder, anybody else that I've talked to can can interpret this to mean. Yep. And here's a section about bump stocks. And so it just says here, within 180 days after the enactment of this act, the attorney general shall prepare and submit to the Judiciary Committee uh, a written report that specifies the number of instances in which a bump stock has been used in the commission of a crime in the United States, specifies the types of firearms in, with which a bump stock has so been used or been so used, and contains the opinion of the attorney general as to whether uh, subparagraphs B, I, and C, I of section blah, 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 apply to all instances in which a bump stock has been used in the commission of a crime of violence in the United States. Now, I'll be honest, guys, I haven't gone and looked up what those sections say because I really don't care at this time. Uh, And then it just defines what a bump stock is and what they're looking for in that uh, report. Here's the actual appropriation, the hundred million that I mentioned uh, for those four fiscal years. So, um, like I said, I mean, if you look at that bump stock piece, even that, it's it's not terribly. It it, it does like it's like eh, why you know, but at the same time, it's not so intrusive. I don't feel you know, it's not it, it's, it's debatable not use of yeah, de- debatable poor use of resources, but doesn't change anything legally about anything. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's a question here about uh, is there anything in there about mental health, and there is not. Not a, yeah, not not even a mention of that. Though I will say that the NICS system already has pr- some provisions for mental health. So yeah. while we're not changing that, you should know that there are already existing ways that a person's mental health status can disqualify them from passing a background check to get a gun. If you've been mentally adjudicated insane by by a court, is is probably the most common instance of yeah. that. So if a court has decided you're not mentally qualified to have a gun, that's already part of the existing system. And once again, this bill. the intent is to make sure everything's getting reported. So there may have been instances where uh, court rulings like that, where someone's been adjudicated mentally defective or insane uh, that would disqualify them from purchasing or owning or possessing firearms. Maybe there's been times that's not been getting reported the way it has, but hopefully this bill uh, creates the incentives and the accountability necessary to make sure that stuff makes it into the system the way it's supposed to. Now to to the question or, or the point about, well, this may mean that more people are having guns taken away from them. Well, that could be because more stuff is getting reported like it's already supposed to be. So if, if that's the case, hopefully, you know, it's only the people that shouldn't have guns to begin with. That's having so-called rights taken away. Uh, It should not affect anyone that's, uh, you know, law abiding that doesn't have anything in their criminal history that would keep them already under the current, rules and regulations from being able to possess or purchase firearms. Yeah. And obviously we, we do know that a large percentage last study I saw like 95% of people who don't pass background checks in the next system. It's a false positive. In other words, they should have passed. There's something in the system yeah. that's wrong, but there is an appeal process for that. That's already in place. Uh, people can follow through with that. They can get take care of it. So it's clarified in this bill even further. Yeah, it is. So, so Doug, thank you for your, your most recent uh, question here. Um, and, and I think this is worth, you said, basically you want to hear like, what would people say against this bill? Like what are the big no's? So here, I want to give you first the ones that I think gun owners, like pro second amendment errors would say against this. And then I think there might be some obvious things that, you know, gun, you know, 
gun controllers, gun grabbers would say against this. But here, here are the things that gun rights people might say, hey, we still shouldn't pass. Even though I love the Second Amendment, we still shouldn't pass this. Probably the biggest one is the argument about you know, setting any precedents about where the federal government has power versus the state government. So there's definitely some upset in the, in the firearm community about this idea that like, hey, are, are, are we setting a precedent here by saying that the federal government can legislate this, this gun thing? Because if we are, then potentially we're setting ourselves up in the future to allow that the feds could pass other gun things. And maybe that's what I think Andrew meant in his comment earlier here in our Facebook live session when he said something like, hey, if we pass this, then when the Democrats are in control of the House, the Senate, the White House, whatever, they're going to use this against us. Maybe that was actually what you meant, Andrew, in which case, yeah, that could be argued, right? But I will say this, we already do have some federal gun laws. It's not like this is the first time we've ever allowed the federal government to pass a gun law. So I don't know that it really creates any precedent in my mind, but that is definitely an argument, this idea of federal power versus state rights. That's a thing. Um, I think definitely there's there, there there's an argument here to be said about well we shouldn't do anything with this this the Brady Bill the the Nick system the, we're trying to get rid of it not add to it um, and, and so you know there there could be some back and forth on that but I think you kind of got a sense that at least from my perspective it's like we're just trying to enforce what's already there which. I'm, I would definitely be willing to take that in order to get reciprocity. If we separated these out, I'd be happier, frankly. Like if we could separate out the, the section, the title two, the fixed next thing out and try and pass it on its own, like good luck. Let's see if that'll pass on its own. But because it's in here, I'm inclined to say, I don't see a huge issue. Um, so I think those, those are probably the core arguments you would hear from pro-gun rights people. Here, here's another one that you see. Well, you, you already touched on a lot of this, but uh, let me go to... I just pulled up uh, just for an example. There's, there's, trust me, there are many dozens of stories and articles that are similar to this. You'll see stuff on the Huffington Post and Washington Post and elsewhere. Um, but <clears throat> here's, here's a common one. Okay, this is a letter uh, written. This, is, <laughs> this does not surprise me, obviously, realizing that the writer of this article is the local lead for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Okay, so this is promoting or, or showing the other, side, the other side's arguments. Uh, basically, their whole focus here is that uh, people are, you know, on, on the, uh, you know, the pro-gun side or the pro-National uh, uh, Reciprocity Act side, what they're saying is this will make things safer. Uh, I think it will make things safer. I think it'll make, especially make it safer for concealed carriers because people, excuse me, people stand the chance right now to be prosecuted. Uh, and sometimes it happens and people make mistakes and, you know, they, they forget that a gun is with them and they cross state lines into New Jersey or some other state that they don't, you know, they just, they forget people make honest mistakes all the time. And uh, what was her name? Shanine Allen, I think was the probably the most famous example. She lives in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania somewhere and made the mistake of going in, into New Jersey and didn't, you know, realize she had a, had a, a gun, you know, had a concealed. Oh, she knew she had it. Remember what happened was well, she, she volunteered the information to the law enforcement officer and didn't realize that was probably not advisable. I actually, you know, I was confusing her story with, uh, there was another one, a uh, security guard or somebody that went into your, uh, yeah, your yeah. forgot he had it under the seat or something like that. Yep. Anyway, so this is, this happens. Okay. People make mistakes or they don't realize that. And yes, we should have the responsibility, I think, on all of us. This is why we talk about this all the time on the podcast, about knowing and understanding the laws. But sometimes people just don't know, or they just 
forget, all right? Or they make mistakes, all right? All right, so the claim that gun ownership, I'm, I'm reading from this article now, the claim that gun ownership stops crime is common in the U.S., and that belief drives laws that make it easy to own and keep firearms. This country has the highest rate of gun ownership in the developed world. If more guns made us safer, we'd be the safest country on the planet. Instead, we have the highest rate of gun deaths. Now, see, that right there, that's what they like to use to against a lot of our side of the arguments, right? Because they say we have the highest rate of gun deaths. Number one, I, I don't know. I'm not that highest rate. That's important to understand, right? So many deaths per say hundred thousand. Uh, that may be true. Or I'm sure it is true. Right. right? I guarantee it's true. Because, I, yeah. because yeah, do we have more guns in this country than any other country in, on the planet? Yes, we do. All right. That's a, that's a true fact. Now, but if you look at the rate of deaths, period, all deaths, all crime, particularly crime-related deaths, anything like that, we are far from being the highest rate in that, you know, in that, in that category. We're not, certainly not down the bottom of the list, but we're not anywhere close to the top of the list in that category, if that makes sense. So, you know, the, the point is, is that if you outlaw guns, if you take away guns, it doesn't necessarily mean that the deaths associated with those guns go away those deaths will occur by some other means that's what you see in a lot of other countries yeah that's that's where we're that's where we're at but i I think the main takeaway here and by the way i actually do agree with lou's request here in this email she just basically wants to break the two bill apart two bills apart let them stand on their own and to that i say yeah i'm with you but anyway um I i think a lot of people are now understand the reason why they combined these is a complete political play totally it, that's because if you look at the committee, the uh, judiciary committee that recommended these bills be combined, and the rules committee that ultimately made that decision before this went before the House for a vote, they it, it was strictly down party lines, and the Republicans said no, we're not separating the two, and the Democrats said we'd like to separate them, and and the reason for that is because the. The Republicans want this, if it's going to go through, they want it to have fixed nicks be a part of it. Uh, it probably does increase the chances of it passing. But number two, there's a high probability this whole thing fails. And if it does, th- then the political play is you can point at it and saying, well, Democrats voted against it. That's, that's, that's all it is. So I think the, to summarize, what I would just say is like the, the, the con against this, why people would, would not support this is because they believe that allowing anyone with a concealed carry permit from anywhere to carry anywhere makes us less safe. And so if, if you're under that impression, whether it's because you think that we should have some minimum level of training to get concealed carry permits in this country, or because you just straight up don't think concealed carry is a good idea, um, then, then you're going to be against this bill. And that, that, that's, to me, the biggest summary. That, that's um, really what's at the core of it. I yeah. mean, the only thing people can point to is that this makes things less safe. And that, that is the big, great debate. Does it or doesn't it? There's now, no data. <laughs> <laughs> There's no data to suggest it makes anything less safe. It's quite too the complex of an issue. But longtime podcast listeners know that we have a long history on this podcast, over 179 episodes. Well, not all those episodes feature these stories, but this is our 180th episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And we have featured hundreds during that time of stories justified stories where guns save lives. Yeah. 
we've, we don't need to preach to the choir too much here, I don't think. But uh, here's a question, and this probably needs to get us to go to the next place. Oh, oh, actually, let's go to Douglas' question, and we'll go to Josh's here. So Douglas says, does the bill provide a process for reporting to denied persons and it means to correct the record? The bill doesn't change what's already in place, is the, is the correct answer. So there is already a process in place by which someone can uh, correct their record, and that process is not something I'm intimately familiar with, but I do know some people who have had to go through it. Sometimes it might require hiring an attorney. Sometimes it might not, but there is already a process in place and this bill does not change, amend or, or do anything to, to change that at all. Yep. That's right. Now there are those, I'm sure that it, there's a question here about this and, and we were planning on talking about it anyway. And that is what are the chances that this gets passed through the Senate? So how many votes do you need to pass something in the Senate, Riley? Well, due to filibuster rules, you need 60 votes. Yeah, you need 60. And there aren't that many Republicans. So even if you had a straight party, if you had a straight party line vote, this would not pass. So here, here's, here'd be my, no, no, it wouldn't pass. So, so here, here'd be my two cents. What are the odds of it passing? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not really sure on what the odds of it passing are, but here's what I would, I would throw out as a danger or what I would be wary of, what I'd be watching, what I'm going to be watching for, for me personally, and that is the bill changing. So in its current form, if it passes, I'm totally good for that. If it doesn't, I'll be sad and I'll cry myself to sleep a little bit. I'll move on in life. But if it changes, flags need to go up. We all need to, to like, whoa, 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 what changed? <laughs> and we may need to make some new phone calls to senators. And if it changes, obviously, then it's got to go back to the House as well. But watch it like a hawk for changes. That would be my two cents here. And, and Riley, you might have some other thoughts about its, its possibility or probability of, of passing. Um, I'm, I'm not going to throw in you know, my vote on, on that on either end. I, I don't really have a good sense for its, its, its probability. But what I can tell you is as long as it stays in its current format, I'll be okay but I'm most concerned about it changing because they do already remember there is already a Senate version of the fixed Nix bill. And so when this new bill comes in over from the house and they say, wait a minute, um, we'd like to kind of you know, reword this and this based on this other Senate bill we had proposed. That's dangerous. That's very scary. So just the, my number one caution would just be watch it like a hawk to make sure it doesn't change. If it's amended, if it's changed in any way before it goes to the floor, we might need to, to, to raise some flags and make some new phone calls. Yeah. So some are probably wondering, <clears throat> where does this currently stand with the Senate? You know, when will they be reviewing it? When will they be looking at it? And that is a big question right now. There has been nothing that I've seen uh, that gives any indication as to when they're going to get to this. I'm looking right now at the United States Senate uh, website, senate.gov. And you do see it listed here under active legislation. Okay. So gun legislation, concealed carry, HR 38. And that, that link there just takes you back to uh, to 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 the house's website that with the description of that bill, um, but I've looked under their schedule. Um, I've looked into some of the committee's schedules. I'm not seeing it anywhere on any calendar yet, and that's another thing. So this has been passed. Now, will it be looked at and taken up at some point? Yeah, it will. It has to because the house has passed this. But realize it's going to go to a committee first, okay? Where they're going to look at, it, they're going to evaluate it, and then before it can ever, you know, go to the full Senate for even a vote, it, it probably will never even be considered for a vote. That's the sad reality of all this. And I know some are probably thinking, well, why are we even talking about it then? Well, we are talking about it because this is historic. This is a big deal. Um, and it certainly is just because we feel like it may be a lost cause doesn't mean we should give up on it and that we shouldn't 
pressure our representatives and our senators to continue working on this. I do think that if something happens, it will look different. Realize if we do go to, and I failed to go back and uh, let's see here, look at, oh, that was the wrong button. Um, if Realize that the Senate is considering the uh, their own version of the fix-nicks bill. Okay, that is in committee right now. I believe it's with the Judiciary Committee. I had it pulled up. I don't know where it went. I must have lost that link in my uh, history here somewhere. So they have their own fix-nicks bill, and that could totally go forward and maybe be considered and passed, although I, that's that one's not getting through either in its current form because uh, that bill, I believe, is has a whole bunch of stuff, including the banning of certain accessories, including bump stocks on firearms. And so that's a long shot too. That one's sitting in committee. So realize that before we see anything, it's got to go through, it's got to be looked at by committee, and then it you know, still has a long uphill battle. And if anything emerges, it looks totally different. Mm-hmm. I just dropped a link here into the, into the Facebook live deal, where you can go to contact your senator. We'll also put it in the uh, podcast show notes. By the way, Douglas points out, it takes 51 votes to pass. Actually takes, yes, it could be 50 and 50 with a tie break being uh, the, the vice president, but it takes 60 to break the ultimate, you know, to break the filibuster. Uh, that is true. That is how it works. But it, in essence, it's, it's the same thing. You need 60 votes to get this to go through. Uh, you may be familiar with the term nuclear option. Uh, that This bill is not, not a candidate for that. A question here from Ivo... Uh, Evo, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but uh, this this is a question that came up a little bit earlier. But I'll just answer it again real quickly. The question is: What what off they pass the bill in states like California, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, do away with concealed carry altogether? And the short way we answered this earlier when someone asked this question was: They really can't, and at least not constitutionally. In the past, when there have been states that didn't have any sort of concealed carry pro- program or permitting option in place. That's been called unconstitutional by both the U.S. Supreme Court and by federal district courts. So could they do it in theory? I I suppose technically they could, but that would be unconstitutional based on rulings in the past. Yeah. Yep. Let's see. Did we miss anything else question-wise? There's been a lot of comments we maybe haven't read off, and we appreciate all your comments. Um, You know, these are all public. So if you guys are listening to this on the podcast later in the recording – Certainly know that this full video is on our Facebook page. You can go find it. You can see everyone's comments and questions and stuff. And uh, for those of you who are, who are with us live right now on Facebook, thank you so much for participating and logging in, all your comments and questions, and certainly know that the recording will be both here on the Facebook page and in our, in our podcast feed. Yeah. So if, if you were only able to pop in for a portion of this Facebook live uh, uh, episode today, then go to your podcast feed and download the whole episode and listen to it later at your own convenience. Um, I'm curious, guys, uh, those of you that are listening only, is this something you'd be interested in seeing more of? If you're listening only to this because you didn't find out about or you didn't hear about the Facebook Live uh, being in conjunction with this, would you be interested in seeing more Facebook Lives? Let us know. You can you can always email us, podcast at concealedcarry.com. Uh, you know, if you'd like to see anything done differently with the podcast, whatever, we're open to those suggestions. Those of you watching on Facebook Live right now, what do you think? Uh, is this something you'd like to see more of? Would you, would you be interested in consuming the podcast in a more visual format? Um, and then maybe also have the, I mean, we'll always have the podcast published through our normal po- podcast feed regardless. Just curious if you'd like to see 
uh, this continue in the uh, uh, Facebook Live uh, uh, option or whatever. Format, yeah, sure. Format, thank you. So you know me, I struggle with my words. <laughs> so cool, cool. I, I'm seeing some positive comments coming in about the Facebook Live today. I'm glad that the technology mostly worked for us. That that was lucky. I and mean, once I figured out how to share things properly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's just an issue because I, I have to be careful not to pick my nose or <laughs> you know, eat while we're talking or you know, anything that would embarrass us you know, here. So I've been you know, drinking. Yeah, I, you know, definitely. I've been chugging some water and things. But anyway, um, nature, nature of the game. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, um, question, Jacob. Do you have a pick of the week this week, man? Pick of the week. You know, uh, yeah, I do. It might even be. I'm looking to see if it's here handy, but uh, I guess it's not. But the laser uh, ammo cartridges from Laser Light, and these are we sell these on our website. But essentially, the idea is that you know you guys are probably familiar with the concept, but it's it's a little you know insert it looks like a, like a shell and a round like you know that you would put into the into a magazine. Um, but what it does is on the back, if it's struck with a firing pin or a hammer or something like that, it, it shot, you know, it fires a laser beam. Um, so it's not too much different than a, you know, laser training pistol, like this cert pistol here that I'm holding, except that I, I'm taking it, a, a cartridge and I'm putting it into my real gun and then it's working. Now it's, it, you know, there's some, some, issues there if you're using like a striker fire gun you gotta rack the slide every time but if you have a double action gun uh or if you're just willing to pull a hammer back or rack a slide after after every shot then that's an option you have and at least as a part of my dry fire training that's been really nice and so i use the ones from laser light they work really well it's very reliable i think the batteries have lasted a long time um it's it's easy to get in it stays really well it comes out really easy uh yeah i'm a fan and we i think I'm pretty sure we sell those on our website. We got a lot of laser light uh, brand products. We also have some stuff from laser ammo, but I I've been very happy with the laser light ones. Nice. How about you, Riley? You got a pick? Well, because of this new visual format, I really feel like I'm, I'm going to go back to my pick that was last week. And, he, and here's why, because if you didn't actually go to this guy's website and look at it for yourself, then it would be hard for you to understand probably what I was talking about when I was talking about the TAC Lab uh, MTR holster with TDI knife sheath attached. So I'm going to show you guys today live. This, is, uh, this was that holster that I was talking about. Let me turn down the camera slightly. There we go. So appendix carry, obviously. And so we see I've got a P320 in there. Okay. Spare mag. And then this is the TDI knife, okay? The K-Bar makes this. Uh, and it's so basically we've got a sheath attached there. And I got to be careful going back into that thing because it is it is a sharp knife. But to show you, to give you a better picture of what this all entails, you can use this holster. Bring down the mic. You can use this holster without the uh, knife sheath. But uh, there we go. Uh, but this attaches on the side here, and I just think that is really cool. That That is a lot of defensive tools in a pretty compact and uh, in a package that makes a lot of sense, frankly. Because, I mean, I do have a second knife on me that I can access with my strong hand, but in the event I need to defend myself with my weak hand, uh, particularly if it's like a weapon takeaway type situation or anything like that, now, which would be a little bit of a challenge with this in the appendix position anyway, but... Basically, I can quickly grab my knife and use that as a slicing and stabbing tool. So, TAC Lab MTR with K-Bar TDI knife sheath all attached. Uh, 
go check it out. Tac, Tac Lab. They have a Facebook page. So anyway, I know I, I, that was my pick last week, but since I could actually show it visually this time, I, I, I really wanted to show it. <laughs> Little show and tell. So I'll go. be doing a review on that and hopefully getting that published here in a few weeks. We'll see. <laughs> anyway. Riley, he's, he's laughing because Riley's backlogged on all the product he's supposed to be reviewing. The list is like, you know, and it gets, it's getting longer too. So yeah, it's, you're adding to it faster than you can get things out. Well, yeah. <laughs> just know some stuff is coming here very soon. Uh, so anyway, coming up next, by the way, I don't know if, if you guys are in the Denver area, you can totally come down tomorrow to the Highlands Ranch 511 store where you'll see Kyle Lamb and me doing a podcast together. So we're going to do a podcast for his podcast, the VTAC podcast, v- VTAC, what do you call it? VTAC, VTAC team or team VTAC, VTAC or something like team that. Team VTAC, that's right, yeah. the team VTAC podcast. So if you come down to 511 in Highlands Ranch, uh, that's the sou- southern side of, of the Denver metro area. Uh, we'll be there doing a live, we'll, we'll be recording in uh, live in the store at 511 tomorrow at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. We're going to do a, a recording for his show as well, another one with him for the Concealed Carry Podcast. We had him on a year ago, actually. Yeah, just a last year. Hey, yep. Bob, to answer your question, you asked, do you have to rack the slide with the laser uh, bullet if you use a Glocky trainer? The short answer is you can't use the two together because the Glocky trainer prevents the firing pin from firing, which means that while you don't need to rack the slide to, to actuate the trigger, you will not actually get any laser to project because the firing pin is not striking the laser cartridge. But what you can do is you can combine the Glocky trainer with a bore sight. And that means you have a constant laser on, but it does still allow you to then work a lot of trigger movement and keep that laser dot steady. So that's an idea. Yep. Yep. Totally. Good tips there. And uh, Brandon says P320 drop test, LOL. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one has not yet been sent back for the voluntary upgrade, uh, but I, I'm just not that worried. <laughs> Brandon and I have had that conversation before. <laughs> so anyway, Hey, folks, we thank you for joining us for this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, appreciate all your support of the show and of us here at ConcealedCarry.com. If it's been a while since you've checked into the site, ConcealedCarry.com, go check it out. Lots of great content on there, uh, articles published recently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also, this would be a great time, if you haven't already, to like our Facebook page. I hope that you'll at least do that if you haven't done so already. And also turn on notifications for Facebook Live. If you look in your Facebook Live, uh, if, you're, if you're sitting there watching, you'll have a little uh, settings. You know, it's like a three dot. Um, what do you call that? I, don't, I hate these icons. You don't know what to call them half the time. But three dot menu icon. If, if you're on the iPhone, I think it's in the upper or on your mobile device, it's in the upper right corner. If it's uh, on your desktop, it's the lower right of the video feed just below that. Anyway, it's three dots and it's a setting thing. If you click on that, you can turn on notifications. So you get all of our Facebook live notifications in the future. Uh, we'll probably be doing a lot more of this. Also subscribe to the podcast and we love our, your support of the podcast by, by doing that as well. So with that, we are going to sign off. We can hear you typing, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he, I typed so. He's like, I got to get some work done. And so that's what we're going to do now is we're going to sign off. And so we can go back to what we normally do. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone.
reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealedcarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast